I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every fucking time. <laughs> the highway today we're talking about property about houses about 20-year bonds real first buy home ownership furniture hacking the house game and some very bad maths introducing Woger. Vince McMahon. Yeah, man. They're different people. Shawn Michaels. The Heartbreak Kid. And a special guest referee. Vince McMahon's daughter. Stephanie. Hello. There we go. Let's kick off with my boy. Vince, how much Good. furniture do you own, Vince? <laughs> Way too much. <laughs> Garden furniture, Vince. It's, it's all white plastic chairs, eh? Because I'm thrifty. So everyone sits on those white plastic chairs. Yeah. I love it. Nothing dude. says classy like white plastic chairs. Exactly, dude. Bright furniture, it works outdoors and indoors, man. It's universal. Do you have a TV stand? Yeah, for, for, for my 12-inch sign attack. <laughs> Do you have an actual stand? <laughs> do, you have, do you have a TV stand or do you have to stand while watching the TV? I, I, f I feel like I'm, I'm a TV stand short at this point. How many inches, Vince? My man, this is a family podcast. Listen. Did you say 12 inches, Vince? <laughs> Vince, are you, are you on back bros? Are you on back bros? Vince? <laughs> Dude, so, some days I can't tell the difference, man. But you know what? Let's go through that. Furniture. How much it actually costs to furnish a house? Stephanie, you have a list of running costs. Take us through that list. Let's hear it. Okay, so these are the costs that um, I kind of put together as I was furnishing my house. So disclaimer is that started scratch, I stayed with family and then I moved into my new home. So as it was going, I mean, I'm a, obviously, I like numbers. <laughs> um, so I kept, I kept a, a list of all the costs. Um, so obviously you've got transfer fees, okay? That's, you're coming in at about 25K transfer fees. Um, everyone pays that. Um, then you've got certain things that you wanna do to your home. So I wanted to fumigate because I was buying off someone else. So fumigate the house there was no security gates in my house so put that in maxi door versus chili door massive price difference very similar product so i guess it's up to you as to where you want to go um i went maxi door option um 
then you want to decide if you want to have an alarm system or not. Um, decided alarm system, let's go with that. Another cost, obviously, you've got to get fiber put in. The people who lived there before me, I don't know what they were doing, living in the Stone Ages, but they didn't have fiber installed. So um, got fiber installation. All those things came to about 20K. That's all before I moved in. Um, and then if you are lucky enough to have a puppy that's coming into your house with you who likes to chew on things, you may have extra costs like I did. I had to replace my fiber because my little puppy thought it was a good chew toy. That no. was an extra 2K. Oh. Um, <laughs> then I decided maybe let's put the fiber in a place where he can't actually access it. Um, then you've obviously got to do your fridge, your washing machine, your TV, all those type of things. Um, that's coming in at probably depending on the stuff that you're getting probably another 20k um and then i think something that people do not consider and it was a shock for me is filling up your cupboards um you're thinking about condiments you're thinking all the little snacks that you want um all these stacks are full in your grocery cupboards i mean you're moving from scratch you got to fill up that freezer the first time stuff that you're probably never going to eat for quite a while um all those costs can be quite a lot and based on what i had put down it was about 10k just filling up all my cupboards and getting all that done 10k to fill up your cupboards <laughs> these numbers are stacking up for me let's get another ca involved here sean i'm just a sexy boy Michaels, what's in your cupboard, boy? So it's a great question, and one I, one I often reflect on. And I think like, like many of our frequent listeners, I, ha I often fell into the trap of buying bananas every two weeks just so I could watch them wilt, wither away and die, and then repeat the cycle. And so the thing is, there are unfortunately things that you just have to buy and they sit there in your cupboard and you'll never eat them and then there's because the one time that you might need it you don't want you don't want to be eating a bland bland burger because you forgot to buy the hot sauce or you forgot to buy the barbecue sauce but i got the, the hot sauce in my bag got the hot sauce i got the hot sauce in my bank account but anyway the point the point is it all it, it there are things that you will need to buy anyway that that are just essentials and then there's things that are flexible and i think what stephanie is speaking to is the fact that when you move in both of those come at the same time you can choose to not buy the bananas because you know you're not going to eat them but conversely you can't choose to not buy the cooking oil because the day you need the cooking oil you can't ish what must happen now what what can you do cook without you oil no cholesterol with hey you can't cook, cook without, without oil. oil you got what you put you can't put water in the pan Foot aren't you the, aren't that's aren't nonsense you? no Vince, but i am team air fryer sure i will say i digress you own an air fryer you don't need oil ah what a game changer and i must say once you own an air fryer it just it creates a level of arrogance because now i just look down on people that don't own air fryers and I just say, Shem, Shem, you don't own an air fryer. Okay. All right. Then, Vils, furnished or unfurnished? You recently moved house. You are on the run from the cops. We know where that body is buried in that last house, Vils. You dirty man, you. We know the things that you've done. But that's not the point of today's podcast. That belongs in a true crime pro podcast, which we'll shoot pretty soon.
Yeah. Furnished or unfurnished, Vince? And why? Let's hear it. Oh, man. Furnished sounds great on the box, right? It sounds like a problem that's already solved for you. You just move in and there's furniture. It is never the furniture you want. It's also furniture you become responsible for. Um, you know, you're already paying to rent a place, um, paying to also look after furniture that you don't like. It's not as great as it sounds on the box. So I'm a huge fan of unfurnished. You know, I've, I've got my own stuff. I've, I've got my own style. I'm not going to pay to replace somebody else's bad lamps or side tables if something goes wrong with them uh, in the future. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of unfurnished myself. Mm. But That's also, a tough one. That's conversely, a tough one. I'm a big fan of furnished. So I, I rent a furnished apartment and I, I love the flexibility of knowing that at some point I can just pack a bag and leave. I, I, I love having flexibility in the truest sense of the word. And I think what, what Vince was speaking to is really the crux of the point. If you choose furnished, you will inevitably be paying a premium because you are paying for the right of use of somebody else's furniture. And if it doesn't matter to you what that furniture is or what it looks like, then it's a great option. But A, if it is too much of a premium, so if you're paying too much for the right of use of that furniture, or if it's just not fit for purpose, if you don't like that furniture, then it can become a it can become a burden. It can become unpleasant. And so it's it's as much a question of preference as as it is a financial or non-financial consideration. Right. Here, here's a bit of help. If you're stuck between furnished and unfurnished. Now we give practical, real world advice on this podcast. The best thing you can do is divide it into essential and optional. What's essential? A bed, a couch. Stephanie is saying a bed is not essential. What are you, asleep on the floor? Bed is enough, fine. Right? A fridge. Maybe some basic cutlery. So you're not living in res. Not plastic forks. <laughs> not plastic forks. Right. A blanket, at least, to cover your ass when it's cold. Basic stuff. A TV, that 12 inches that Vils is packing, is not essential. <laughs> but you may you probably want it you, you always bad, want it you always you want it, it. <laughs> you always want it but if, once you have a list of essentials that's the stuff you gotta have day one moving into a place the optional stuff that's the diffusers the throws the rugs the TV stand, the PS5, big booty aisles. All of those are options. You can live without that. Most of us can, I hope. But if you have a list of optional versus essential, day one, it really helps you. And that's where you can actually plan your cash. Nespresso machine, oh, nice to have, optional. Nutribullet, nice to have, optional. Air fryer, according to my man, Shawn Michaels, 
essential. Optional versus essential. That's where you got to start. And, and I think as an, as an extension of that thought, this also allows you to optimize for the right things. You have to, you have to reflect a little bit and, and ask yourself, what are the most important things for me? Where do I need to allocate more of my, my money to make sure that I, you know, because, to make sure that this, I have the best of this because I need it. And so, for example, if you love coffee, and coffee is important for you. It's probably important for you to go and get that, that Nespresso or that nice coffee machine. But you know now and you recognize that there's a consequence to having that nice Nespresso machine. And that means you may need to not get the big TV, perhaps. Uh, conversely, if, if you, know, you, you, you know that you need a really good bed and that's really important to you, then over-index on that. But, but be conscious about it and make sure that you balance across the across the essentials and across the the wants because otherwise what happens is you just end up buying a whole lot of expensive shit and not all of it is as important to you stephanie tell us about buying furniture practically and you're a chartered accountant you're a finance hun you've got all of this on lockdown except when you decided to buy a couch there's no couching how bad that was. It was <laughs> so near yet so far. So far. Nobody's laughing on this podcast. <laughs> I will fire all of you. <laughs> Literally. Just because you think you're on the charts. You don't want to laugh at my jokes. You forget who owns this company. You forget. <laughs> you say couch, but the sea is silent. Yeah. Ouch. You said Spain, <laughs> but the S is silent. Let's hear it, Stephanie. Take us through this tragic story. Okay, look, to start off with, I already had a couch. Oh, I already had a couch. So the dog ate it. Uh, well, yeah. so, so, so the first couch that I had, I didn't spend a lot of money on it because I said to myself, look, I have a puppy. He's going to destroy it. Let me just buy something that's going to work. So once he got out of that stage of destroying things, I decided to actually invest in a proper couch. So it took me really long to find something that I liked, the color that I liked, the shape that I liked. It was just tough. Um, and then when I finally did, they said, okay, six to eight weeks. So I was like, that's fine. I have a couch already. Um, I'll just wait, whatever. Um, so waited and um, I decided to just give the couch away. I mean, obviously it wasn't torn into pieces and I didn't think that I should sell it or anything like that. So the person I was giving it to said, look, I can get transport, whatever. Can I come fetch it this week? And then I called the place that I bought my couch from and they're like, yeah, no, it should come next week. So I was like, okay, a couple of days without a couch, I can rough it out. The couch came four weeks later oh. in those <laughs> oh, yeah. what? and this is in the middle of winter so no. here I am sitting watching Netflix on my floor so rug on my floor um it was rough uh I so, didn't so, so just <laughs> and it wasn't just rough because you were sitting with the dog <laughs> no well to be honest he loved that I was always there because oh, yeah, yeah. he thought that I mean playtime all the time 
and I was just exhausted. I'm like, actually, no, I don't want to play right now. <laughs> so you, you, you're just taking all the knocks. You, your dog eats your fiber. Your couch is a month late. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm impressed that you, you, you're still holding it together. Um, look, there's some debates about that, but yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so Vince, we yes. all know you have an alcohol problem. And, and you're quite open about true. it. Sir, alcohol and is the solution. I will have you know. This is why you have the problem. Right? It's not alcohol a problem. Is on, this is alcohol <laughs> is only a solution if you're having cocktails and you're mixing them. Also, look, it's only a problem if you acknowledge it, right? That's what the saying goes. So, yes, it's not a problem. If we get a sponsor for this podcast, we send you to rehab. <laughs> First week of jail. Let you have a good December at least. But you've always relished it. Because you like having extra cash in your pocket mm-hmm. for alcohol. And mostly, yep. Have you ever broken anything in your house or had issues with a bad landlord as it relates to claiming back your deposit? Or, you know, take us through what it feels like to have stuff that you don't really own, but you're paying for occupation. Have you had any sticky situations in the past? Um, a good couple, actually. Um, you know, the, I think I've actually been quite lucky because a lot of the landlords that I've rented from have their shit together. So I should start by saying I, I take my time to choose people that I work with. Um, I have been fortunate to not rent from landlords that are You work with shady. us? You work with us, Vince. It's, it's the biggest mistake of my life. I regret it every day. It's why I drink, guys. I was not an alcoholic <laughs> before Banker X. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a point you got a point it's but harsh but true but the the one thing is is the cost of restoring a place afterwards um you know so many times i wanted to uh to either paint or modify or customize or do something to make the space more mine and every time i do that i have to think about i have to undo this afterwards if i paint a wall i have to paint it back um, last place I lived in, I accidentally broke a couple of lamps. I will not go into why. Yes, it was for, for legal reasons. It was accidental. Um, and like, the, the specific one that broke was this lampshade that they stopped producing like six months before I broke it. So it took me like a month to find a replacement, you know, like on the shelf of some old shop, you know, somewhere out the middle of nowhere uh, to finally get this lampshade replaced because my contract said I had to return the place in its former condition. So I will say that one of the invisible trade-offs you make, I mean, the, the, the rent versus buy thing, it, on, on paper, on the spreadsheet, it, you can make some kind of argument about it. But the spreadsheet doesn't tell you that you're going to wake up in this building every morning and there's things you can't change about it without incurring a whole lot of extra cost. And you've got to live with that every day that you're renting. Um, if you're not willing to make that trade-off, I, I think it is steeper than you might think. So, Vils... You're basically telling me you are out there searching for a one-night stand. <laughs> um, I, I have many stands, but they last more than one night. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Red vs. Buy since you brought it up. Yeah. Hot topic. Hot debate. Ric Flair put out a thread. Got a lot of traction social media you went through it let's look at some of the debates people have you paying someone else's bond a house is not an asset shout out rich dad 
Poor dad, poor dad. Man has blood on his hands. Oh my god. Landlords get richly asleep. Sure you know? they do. Mm-hmm. And now you've got adult raises and smack giveaways while you're spending a one million rand check on a jail cell in Midrand. Fucking exhausting. <laughs> Let's go through some of the common property myths. House prices always go up. Let's talk about house prices always go up. While that might be true, definitely not across every price band. No. Yeah? Mm -hmm. It doesn't. Looking at the annual inflation area value bands across the last 10 years, high value properties, which are properties between 700K and 1.5 million, have barely, barely done 4% a year. Wow. Your luxury houses, which are greater than a million and a half, have barely done 3, 4% a year. The houses that have rocketed in value are houses between 250K and and 700K, Mm. right? And and you know what 700K will get you in Cape Town, right? Mm. A shoebox on the highway. <laughs> exactly. Worse than a shoebox on the highway. They'll get you a shoebox under the highway shared with three other people. And right? the shoebox leaks. And yes. the shoebox. No, that, that leak is not coming from the shoebox, coming from one of the people you shared <laughs> the, the box with. But, but house prices may always go up, but it, it doesn't always go up at the same rate. And it's such a thing as buying a house in a bad location where you've always got to fix it up, where you're stuck in a crime-riddled area and you've got to pay through your ass for security. Property isn't always the safest investment like people would love to make it out to be. Sean, what do you have to say about that? I think it's, I think it's a fantastic point and, and one of the biggest drivers of that, I mean, and there's, there's a couple drivers, but I think one of the biggest is the... The, just the way that South Africa in particular is set up geographically is that you have luxury areas which are which due to historical you know reasons and, and have, have always been higher income and there is a to an extent a um, they're aspirational but at the same time there's a lot of like it's not always accessible. It's not always accessible to buy a million rand and a half house, which means that on the demand side, you're not always going to be able to find a buyer as readily. And that has an impact on, on the price appreciation because it means that the pool that you could potentially sell your, your, your house into is smaller. As you go down the income brand and you get to that 250K to 750K market, the honest, uncomfortable truth is that for many South Africans, that is the price band that is accessible to them as a first home, which means the pool of people that could potentially buy your house is so much higher. And that ultimately means that there's greater demand. And as a result, you could potentially get a higher price. And so there's almost this disconnect because on one hand, social media is is showing you the fancy ass house. And they're like, this is aspirational. This is what you should want. But on the other hand, the true value preservation 
The true value creation doesn't come from the Clifton House. It comes from the starter house in that area, in, in the slightly dodgy area that people would be willing to buy. And of course, as Rick f correctly said, that often comes with a whole lot of unintended additional expenses. You may find yourself having to pay more for security. But at the same time, given the way, given the reality of this country, that is often a trade-off that many people are willing to make. If you're listening to the podcast, we've got a Clifton House party coming on in the next couple of weeks. Vils can attest to it. It's a nice house. It's a nice house. Nice. It's a nice house. Vils, when you walk into a nice house like we were in recently, and you look at how much it costs per night, per month to own, what are some of the things you're thinking about in a luxury house? Firstly, would you pay that much, assuming you had that much money, for one of those Clifton luxury mansions? You know, I, the peace and you can't put a price on peace and quiet. Like, that's, oh my God. Um, I mean, you can. They call it noise cancelling headphones, but go on. <laughs> Go on, finish your Mr. Mr. Air Fry here with the cheap earbuds. How about you buy a property Ooh. where there's like nobody around you? Like that's actually true luxury, I think. Ooh. It's, you know, like what actually the, the main thing that struck me was just this is what the top of the ladder looks like and all the proportions still roughly seem the same. Like these higher end houses, they are designed to hold, you know, more people and let you do more things in them. And they're in much better locations. But the principles are still the same. Um, you know, somebody bought this house in the past, they'll probably sell it in the future, there'll be some kind of value gained or value lost. Um, it's the same mechanics, which I think is really interesting. Um, you know, starting with a 250k house and eventually selling it for maybe more than double, um, you know, at some point in the future, it's the same rate of value creation just off a lower base if anything luxury houses are a bad place to be right now right it's, if you look at yeah. it, it goes back to the point if you're selling a house for 500k the pool of buyers is a lot larger than the pool of buyers for 180 million rand right yeah in this country yeah especially when you consider most of those houses were bought at a different USD or Euro czar exchange rate in the past. Mm -hmm. Right? That makes a huge difference. No, it does. And, you know, like everyone, like every year there's an article that comes out about, you know, high net worth individuals leaving South Africa. And those are the people that would buy and sell these houses. Every time you see an article about, you know, rich people exiting South Africa, that means the pool got a little bit smaller. Um, every time you read about uh, capital out inflows from foreign investment decreasing, your pool gets a little bit smaller. Uh, you know, that's just how that stuff impacts on your ability to sell a house, you know, that, that's north of, I mean, what's that, eight figures? Um, to, to sell something of that value to somebody who's willing to pay for it and have it be in South Africa, that little pool is getting smaller every year. And the thing is, I mean, the added layer to it is having an, ex an, ex 
An expensive house to buy is often also an expensive house to maintain because as Vince very correctly said, the proportions are largely the same. But the problem is when you have more space and more amenities, more of the nice things, you also need to sustain them. You know, if you have a small pool, it costs X amount to maintain that pool. If you've got a big, if you've got a pool double that size, it costs maybe 2X of that amount. If you have a pool triple the size, it costs maybe 3X. And so what can inevitably happen is an expensive house may be expensive to buy, but it may also be expensive to maintain. Maybe the dog goes and now in your, in, in your medium-sized house, it can only chew the fiber. What happens if it can chew the cables for the undertile heating? What happens if it can chew the, the, the rugs? So many more things for the dog to eat. So many more things for you to replace. Yeah, what if the listen. dog chews the C-Cob cable? <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, if you're living in a small house and your dog chews a Mr. Price armchair, that's very different than a Valence armchair, which is very different from an imported European Valence armchair. Valence the dog the armchair. <laughs> <laughs> no, but side note, Valence, Valence do fraud for a good animal print, eh? Oh. You're barking up hey, the wrong tree. Who? Hey, it's hard. You're sitting on a real cow. What can you say? <laughs> can cow? you afford Valence? Are you rich or are you just poor? <laughs> well, we know from Mr. Airfry what the essentials are here. So, okay. Let's look at the data. It's becoming cheaper to rent. It is. Escalations annually in South Africa are considerably lower than 10%. Over the last two years, rental escalations on average, it might not feel like it, have only gone up less than 3%. Less than 1% post-COVID. And it's on a downward trajectory every single year. It's increasing at a decreasing rate. 4%, 3%, 2%, 1%, 1.5% a year. And, and, so and why is it happening? There's a couple of things. Earlier at the start, you said... One of the misconceptions, one of the statements you often hear is when you rent, you are paying off somebody else's bond. But let me tell you, for free, if, you're, if the rental is only going up at 3%, it's only going up at 1%, you're not covering a bond. There's no, there's no chance that, that you are covering a bond. And that's why the buy-to-rent model itself is, has slowly eroded to the point where it probably doesn't exist anymore. That's a great point. The gap between renting and buying, factoring the all-in cost, huge. If anything, you're going to have to pay in, even with interest rates at an all-time low. But why are rental escalations so low? Well, one of the reasons are that many people have decided to buy houses. Why? Because interest rates are low. Except interest rates also go up, <laughs> right? If interest rates were locked and they stayed on that point forever, great. Except this narrative is pushed heavily by banks, estate agents, mortgage brokers, everyone who DJs. just wants you to take DJs, who wants you to take the tables attorney, who wants you to take <laughs> the plunge. And being able to borrow cheaper for a house is great, except, except we've got to be smart here. Cheap to borrow does not mean cheap house. I'll say it again. Cheap to borrow doesn't mean cheap house. 
It just means the financing costs you less. You think about what happened in 2008, cheap loans, huge property bubble, precipice of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. What happened? High asset prices, hugely inflated. But, but, what happened? Meltdown. Yep. Why? Because these were borrowers who would have had difficulty getting mortgages. And historically, all of the homeowners found it difficult to obtain mortgages because they had poor credit histories. They needed to have larger down payments. And what happened? Easy access to credit, more liquidity in the system, cheap yep. money. What happens when you have cheap money becoming expensive money? People can't afford expensive money. You can't pay the bank anymore. So if you're borrowing at 110%, 105% to your loan, to your value, and you're just scraping it through, a small tick up in interest rates, and it's, all of a sudden you're yeah. pulling your kids out of school. They're learning on Takalali Sesame. You're eating, you're, you're not eating Uber Eats Too many anymore. noodles, man. Rest of your life. You're not watching DSTV anymore. Guess what? You're watching TV through your neighbor's <laughs> You're window. stealing Wi-Fi. You're stealing Wi-Fi. You're stealing electricity. You're stealing electricity. If you have electricity. If you have electricity. But here's the thing. The bank said I can afford it. Now, qualifying and affordability are two completely different things. And being eligible for a loan is great. But once you overlay rates, levies, maintenance, insurance, utilities, security, those costs rack up quickly. My rule of thumb, add 40% to your bond repayment and see if you're comfortable. Yep. Add 40%. Really. See if you have headroom. And then it gets worse, Rick, because linking it back to what we were speaking about earlier, your bond is secured by the value of your house. But if the value of your house is not increasing, or in some cases decreasing, it means you have locked in to pay X amount for an asset who's, that is now worth X minus 10%. Which means if you have to give up that house, you may not be like selling the house to cover the bond, may not, in, some, in the worst case, cover the full bond value because your house has lost value. Stephanie, you've run the numbers. You took us through all of the numbers, including the cost of the dog <laughs> early on. But when you had to buy the property, take us through some of the costs that nobody sees, like bond registration costs, the initiation fee, the deeds, office levies, even postage, and whatever the fuck they charge you for, right? All of those little costs that stack up. Did that come as a big surprise to you when you bought your first house? Obviously it did. Um, you don't realize all these things. And at that point, um, yes, I had people that had bought homes before and I had advice and that sort of thing. But when it's your own money, it's, it's a lot of difference. I mean, you don't pay much attention when someone tells you about the cost that they've incurred. But when it's your money leaving your bank account, then you're like, whoa, hold up. Is this completely necessary? So yes, all those costs that Rick just meant, all of that stacks up. And if you don't have a proper, a proper cushion to start off with, then you're going to find yourself in a scary place. So before you consider buying a house, make sure that you have enough money to get through all of that. And I promise yeah. you the most scary thing, postage. Like, why can't I email you this thing? Like, why do I have to post it? <laughs> because it's 1990. But I actually, can we get a benchmark for this? Like, let's say million rand house. How much should you expect to pay for extras, the registrations, the postage? 60k yo 
And that's th that doesn't go towards the house. That's not so, in any so, way. So I will run the numbers because I'm a numbers man. I love figures. Do it. Ric Flair loves it. You know how you do. Ric Flair loves figures. He loves figures. He no loves question. those hourglass figures. Ah. It's, it's becoming a true crime podcast right now. <coughs> check the freezer. <laughs> Don't check the right. freezer. There's Don't nothing check in there. the freezer. Nothing in there. Right. One million rand house. Cost you 60k bond in transfer cost. Where the fuck is 60k going? 32, 33k is bond registration cost. Right? That's bond registration cost, the initiation fee for the bank, deeds office levy, postage. You pay two grand for postage. Sell a fucking Hogwarts <laughs> owl to your house. Be cheaper. <laughs> That's your 30k. What year is it? Right? What? 2021. We're getting fucked. Jesus. Right? So, so that leaves you another 30k. Where the other 30k is coming from? Or 28k. 32 plus 28, 60. Quick math. That's the property transfer cost, including that. That's the deeds office levy, transfer duty. You don't pay transfer duty on a house that's 1 million rand and less. Great. Save some cash. Postage, 2,700 bucks. Again. I think I'll 5, post the shit myself. That's, that's 5K in postage. That's 5K postage. Your ball registration uh, and your property transfer. Now, that's on a million rand house. It's 60K. On a 2 million rand house, 130K. Why? Because uh, now you've got transfer duty coming in. 50K of transfer duty. 50,000 rand. 50,000. Bang. Gone. Cash. Phew. And where's the 130, 130K broken down into? 40K is bond registration. 90K is property transfer cost. So you've got to have 130K on cash by buying a 2 million rand house. And that, we haven't even got into your deposit yet. So if you're talking about a 10% deposit of 2 million rand house is 200K, Plus your total bond and transfer cost of 130k, 330k cash money day one. Who the fuck has that? And but then this is all before you've actually moved in and bought your first bottle of hot sauce for your cupboard. This is why you have garden furniture in the house. <laughs> really, Vince, you're saving cash by renting instead of buying. What are you doing with that cash every month? My alcohol problem, man. There we Clearly. go. Yeah. There we go. Easy. KFC. KFC, right? Oh, but here, here's, here's where, it gets where it gets interesting. Big question. If you took the cash that you're saving from renting a house and you invested it, would you be able to make more money than you would if you had owned the house and sold it after 20 years? Now, we've run the numbers for you because that's what we do. Now, when it comes to the calculations, it's very sensitive. Very, very sensitive. Why? Because you've got to look at the inflation rate. You've got to look at the house price value growth rate. You've got to look at the returns from your investment each year. You've got to look at levies, rates, and maintenance, and the cost that you're spelling every year. But levies. Special, special Before I even get into the fucking numbers, because levies stand out for me here. Let's quickly run through levies. It's definitely, you sit on the board of, what do you call it in, in the complexes? Because I, I, I even skipped those emails. You're trusty. Take us through <gasps> levies. Leadership. leadership. Take us through leadership. leadership. Go, come through, come through, tell us. Come through leadership. Um, it's difficult, okay, because I think that a lot of people don't see what happens behind it. Um, there is a way to make sure that levies are reasonable though. And that's what we do. 
um, at our complex, we make sure that you're not paying for unnecessary things. So all our service providers, we make sure that we get proper quotes and we're not, we're being reasonable. But not every managing agent and board of trustees does that. So sometimes you're sitting with this inflated levies that's increasing all the time and you don't actually see anything coming from it because your complex is just not being run correctly. And then suddenly something blows up and you need to have a special levy to replace it and you don't actually know what you're doing and then you start to rent and now it becomes an issue because it's these additional costs that you never considered that start getting put onto you and it just becomes a problem. So I feel like levies, yes, sometimes can be excessive, but it comes down to the management. And if the people managing your estate are not doing it properly, then you are going to be paying for unnecessary costs. So if you take that difference and you invest it, guess what? Your investment has to be pretty fucking good for you to be able to offset home ownership, right? It has to. I mean, you run the numbers. If you buy a house for 20 million rand over 20 years, you actually pay 1.86 million rand back to the bank. Now, the biggest thing you can do and the biggest win is how do you hack the game? How do you make sure you hack the renting game? Make sure whatever you're paying to rent is at least 30, 40% cheaper than all in cost to buy. Because the more you're saving, the more you can invest. Right? And you've got to invest the fucking cash. You're taking that cash and you're just spending it on bullshit. You're actually not going to be better off than buying a house in 20 years. It's unfortunate to say that. So you've got to be yep. disciplined about taking the cash that you save and actually making sure it's productive because every cell that you pay that's not growing, that house's value is still growing, right? Yeah, and, and that's just, i, I got to say, that is the very difficult part because if you're sitting with a bunch of debt and you're paying it off every month and you're watching the debt number go down, you, are, you get a sense of progress from that. But if it's cash that you have to then additionally pay into something else to invest it, every month you're going to sit and look at that money and go, but I could get a new air fryer this month. Or mm. I, c I can afford mm. Netflix mm. now. Mm. And then let me tell you, Vince, they now have air fryers and hot pot two in one. Ooh. Technology, man. Technology is advancing. They I love it. They don't need to do us dirty like that. Oh. Goes well with the burger button. <laughs> yeah, dropping 2022 man i'm serious i'm going to build that thing um but the, the the point is that the it it seems good on paper like of course you can build up this you know equity or cash or whatever on the outside you know beyond your house because you're a smart investor you're going to feel a lot less smart when you're sitting with an unexpected expense and you're looking at that cash and going this can solve a problem now this is paying for something now it's not paying off in 20 years, I need the money now. You can't get away from that. So I think even if the, if you think you can beat the market and you think you're smarter than like, you know, financial mechanics, try it. But if your intention is to build wealth, it might actually be better to buy, even if the math seems like it would make sense to rent. A hundred percent. But what you can do when you're renting is never accept above market escalations. My boy, yeah. Sean is great at this. Master negotiator. I don't know whether he's comfortable sharing the fact that I just don't he has escalations. never paid an escalation. He just cut stuff out. Take my I couch. <laughs> Take the DSTV. Take the DSTV. You know what? I don't need this. Take the DSTV. I, 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 give me I a single bed. Escalation. It's fine. 
No, but but I mean, and I think that is, in many respects, indicative of the current rental market. The fact that a if you if you are a renter and you're an asshole, you can actually get away with it. Um, you can't get away with with without escalations or with very low escalations because the truth is that the the you know like we mentioned earlier the buy to rent market the economics are so tight now that actually for homeowners who who are looking to rent rent their houses out having a stable reliable tenant is a lot more valuable oh, than yeah. pushing the extra 5% and risking Shawn Michaels packing up his bag and going elsewhere to find another landlord that he can he can hustle and exploit <laughs> Listen, the, the house I'm in right now, I'm paying about 20% below market thanks entirely to COVID. The, the market dried up so fast when people weren't able to move house and just the timing was very good. So right now I'm paying a whole lot less for this place than I would otherwise have paid. And even the escalations are also, and it's in the 5% range where I'm at, which is still much less than if this mm. had been rented in mm. a normal market. Mm. That's your crypto gain from this morning, Vince. Yeah. <laughs> Bang. You talk about bad tenants. There's four categories of tenants that most estate agents can categorize. Minimum risk, number one. Low risk, number two. Medium risk, number three. High risk, number four. Four categories. Four categories. High risk tenants have an after tax, so net monthly income of 26,000 rand. High-risk tenants. That tells you everyone earning 26,000 rand or less after tax every month have indicated behavior that's delinquent. 41% of people earning 26,000 rand or less have defaulted. 41% of them have defaulted on their rent payments. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> in that sample, wait, in that sample, 40, their, their debt-to-income ratio that is, if you take their total debt and you divide it by the income, it's 47%. The average credit score of people earning 26,000 rand or less is less than 600. That's the average credit score. So these are folks with the low credit score, high level of delinquency, high level of debt, higher probability of default, and that's what we're dealing with. Now, we know in South Africa, very few people are actually taking home less, or, or taking home 26,000 rand after tax every month. That tells you the pool of bad tenants out there is, is full. It's high. Yeah. It's wide. The pool is overflowing. <laughs> so what constitutes minimum risk? You probably want to know. Yeah. Minimum risk are people will take home 42,000 rand after tax and after deductions every month. Hmm. Is, is that like the, so that's like the main metric by the sounds of it then? Like a very simple yes, no pivoting off your, it, 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 your it's, it's, it's an aggregate of the data that one of the major property firms in South Africa has that they use mm -hmm. to benchmark. And naturally, most people fall into a high, medium risk category, you know, yeah. where we are in the country. Yeah. Which and, and I mean, very few jobs will pay you more than 42,000. 
thousand rands after tax. I mean, you're going to have to work at Banker X to get that kind of money. Listen, if you're listening, Banker X pays. Vince, you can attest yes. to that. You've seen the cash coming into Banker X. You know that we will pay. Oh, absolutely. Dude, we, we, we've been having those those overpriced stakes like every other day now. It's, it's, it's been a good couple of weeks for, for Banker X. Yeah. But we do not want to hire 10 people. We'd rather pay one person 10 times the salary. Yeah. The, That's it. The 10x higher. So just putting two things together here quickly. If the uh, if you're going to get the most wealth growth out of the houses that cost 250 to 700k, but the people that are likely to rent them from you are predominantly in the high risk category, then buy to rent sounds like a huge gamble. Bigger than NFTs. This is a big oh, yeah. gamble. Oh yeah. 100%. 100%. And you know what? We're not in the business of taking risks and rolling the dice on your future. All right? Dude, and this isn't just rolling the dice. This is rolling the dice uphill in a blizzard where the terrain is stacked against you. Like, you're actually aping into a losing market if, if this is your way to your route to build wealth. It and might have worked for your parents and grandparents. It's probably not going to work for you. Not in South Africa. And beyond that, Vince, this is also rolling the dice that has admin consequences because if you go and make a bad nft investment your money is gone and like you can be sad about it but if your house has broken pipes and the toilet is not flushing vince's pipe is never broke oh my goodness <laughs> i know vince has vince has big pipes you know the, the free flow but for the rest of us it is admin. Like, it's not only money we're talking about. There is a cost of your time, of your energy, of your mental health from going to have, uh, from finding contractors to go and fix a broken gate because your tenant broke the gate. John Vuligeti. John Vuligeti. Vuligeti. John Vuligeti. Yeah, and uh, maybe it's just me. Hold on. I, I need to ask you guys this. Are you also finding it difficult to actually get good contractors to fix things at your house? Wait, are you telling me the plumber actually doesn't fix stuff? Dude, it, it's not at all like the ad said. I mean, I was on this website, Pornhub, and they, they didn't fix anything. Oh? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey. We're going to edit hey. this out. Are you going to edit? Wait, what? Check your priest still there. Whoa. Well, Samantha's finding things out about her dad right man, now. Man, thanks to you, we've got to have to put this under explicit. Man, <laughs> man. <laughs> so, listen, let's wrap up the renting part of this episode so we can get on to the buying side. Because we all yes. want to own houses. The dream, man. Got to own the dream. Stephanie, what advice do you have to people who are renting? or buying, or anything in a complex, as someone who sits on the body corp, what questions should people be asking? And what kind of accountability do you expect from people who live in a complex? Tell us. Ask for the financial statements. So especially if you're buying, ask us for the financial statements and go through it. And then ask us questions. Say, what is this expense? What is that? Like, we should explain it to you. And if you ask the questions and there's no answers it should tell you something about how the estate is being run so definitely do that do that first um look i can't really talk about the rent side of things because i never did rent <laughs> but um from a buying side of things i think 
another important thing is be con like the unit that you're getting. So if you're getting a ground floor, there's someone that's going to stay above you. So if someone walking constantly is going to irritate you, then maybe reconsider getting a ground floor because I get complaints like oh, the person above me is noisy. Now, what must I do? A person mustn't walk. Like, you know, it, it becomes difficult. Like people are going to like do these type of things. So just be aware of the type of unit that you're getting. Um, if it is like a pet friendly complex, there are going to be dogs barking. There are going to be those type of things, you know, just consider, consider everything. Is there any, just, I, I, I got to ask this. Is there any way to do a trial, like to stay in a place for a few days and see before you make like a huge financial decision like that? Airbnb. <laughs> you just occupy the land. <laughs> yeah, just move in. You just occupy. Fils, <laughs> what are you asking for? Sounds criminal. Dude, uh, what I'm asking for is specifically, I don't know if you guys have, have seen all the news and the, the drama around the Lagoon story and that whole complex and <laughs> the entrance fees. The blind, <laughs> yes, the yes. beach. We've done a great job as usual. Bank bros fighting for that number one spot on Spotify. On iTunes, the best business podcast, best podcast in South Africa. Part numero two. uno. Uno, numero uno. Will first come. in the finish, first in number the finish one. line, first in Buyaka, your Buyaka, heart. Six, one, nine, six, Ian, Niaka. Part two is going to cover how to save a couple of hundred grand on your property, how to hustle your dream house for cheaper, and how to score some big booty hulls. Vince. Sean, Stephanie, signing out.